Shut up and sit down. When the Wind Blows is an epic, inspired podcast bringing innovation to professional development. Welcome back to When the Wind Blows. Uh, this is a podcast for parents, teachers, leaders, and anyone vested in the world of education. Um, this week, we are talking about advocacy and advocacy. Really, it's the same thing, but I'm an educator, so anytime I can put the word, the, the letters ed in front of or behind something, I'm going to. Uh, sorry, guys. Uh, so we've got Brent Kale and Todd Thompson back on the podcast again. We've got the vote right around the corner, so they're going to be with us again next week. But this week, we're talking about advocacy and advocacy. Uh, guys, I'm not going to ask you to introduce yourselves again, um, but uh, uh, <clears throat> tell me the 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 advocacy for dummies definition in your mind. What is it to be an advocate? Todd, okay, I'll go, I'll go ahead and speak, Brant, if you want. Um, <laughs> I'll go next. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, for me, advocacy is you, you are a voice for something that you believe in, that you are, are sharing uh, whenever maybe somebody else can't speak um, or you have a perspective that somebody else doesn't have, you use that voice uh, to uh, influence and to um, maybe change minds. I would say I believe it's about engagement and participation in our democracy. Um, there are subject matters that are near and dear to everyone's heart. And it's important to advocate to uh, elected leaders, um, city officials, um, um, volunteers throughout the communities and, and, and leaders throughout the state, telling them your story and letting them know why it's important and, and how it impacts your life. And um, I, I feel like that's kind of the crux of advocacy, especially for Epic. Yeah. Well, and I mean, even beyond legislative or or super um uh i guess high-end going and, and telling your story at the capitol or to your legislator our students are advocates of their own education our parents are advocates of the students and teachers are advocates for their students um and that goes all the way up the chain a, a principal will be an advocate for teachers a, an mdi in our model will be an advocate for principals i mean every level we try to bake in some level of advocacy and when it boils all down or when you put the microscope under it it comes back to doing what's best for those students and so anytime we can advocate or tell the stories of our students to somebody who's making decisions uh whether it's the the teacher or the the principal or or the superintendent i think um being willing to tell a story is is the biggest part of advocacy yeah so yeah exactly um right now epic is is 
Hmm. We are needing to tell our story uh, regularly. Um, you know, there's always, always been a news cycle, you know, several times a year about Epic and, and this year is no different. However, the, the level of, um, I guess, what am I trying to say? Like, they've been called embezzlers before they've been called disruptors before but but this new um the the audit that has finally come up is it seems like it's brought a whole new level of we need to tell our story um why do you think there's only a one-sided story being told right now brant i think that it's this is this is my opinion but i feel like it fits the narrative of our detractors I think that it, those organizations, those agencies, those individuals who have constantly been critical of Epic in the past have, have had a, an opportunity to tell their side of the story. They've done so unilaterally. They've done so without consideration of Epic's position on these, these audits and these findings. And it's been sensationalized in the media. And I feel like it's not fit the narrative to have our side of the story to be told yet because the individuals who are leading this are not necessarily people who think that what we do is worthwhile or is is appropriate uh in in their in their estimate of what public education should be um that has clouded a lot of their findings about what a, a public school offers and what a public school does in my opinion yeah uh todd is, is there a bigger agenda that has been set by the people telling the story? I mean, if you're just a, an outsider looking in uh, and you see all of these stories mounting against Epic, is there an agenda here or uh, are these people, you know, valid in, in telling the, this story that they've got going on? Well, I think that uh, there has to be an agenda because if there's... Uh, not an agenda, then you're trying to present both sides equally, uh, which isn't really the case. Whenever you look at the media reports that have been done over the last several years, and especially here uh, recently, um, the opportunities to present uh, have not been uh, equal at this point. Um, and I think that if you really look at nationally, a lot of the discussion about these long-standing, uh, deep-seated, entrenched um, government systems that are fighting any kind of change. I think you can see here that that there is a lot of the old guard within the education establishment that are fighting this crazy thing called Epic that has become the choice of so many families. And so I think there is that is the push. And so you have your teachers unions, you've got your superintendents associations, you've got your all of your school personnel that are angry that something a new model has come along. And so they are joining. And to be honest, you know, with with reporters and and uh, news media people, oftentimes they're influenced just like everybody else by what is more comfortable and popular with the largest 
suppliers of money in their particular system. So if you're in Tulsa public schools and that has such an influence in the Tulsa community, the Tulsa reporters seem to be really gung ho at, you know, coming after uh, Epic uh, because it, it, it impacts that financial stability. The only thing I would add also, and this is piggybacking off of what Todd just said, is that it's really our success that has driven a lot of these criticisms that have come about our school system. When we were a school system of 400 students or 1,000 students, no one paid attention or cared. It wasn't until we became the largest school system in the state. And nothing has changed from the model of our school system, how we operate, how we provide our services. Nothing has altered or been to, or changed. It's just that we've had so many uh, students that have, and families that have said, we want to do this, we choose this, we elect to do this over the traditional brick-and-mortar system. And, and I think that we are finding ourselves in a situation um, based upon the success of our school system. I would – Aaron. Go ahead. Aaron, you, you've been around education for, for years, but my, my interaction as a legislator with – with educators in traditional brick and mortar, uh, there is that sense that uh, this is our our right to those set of students. Those are our students. Uh, that is our our money attached to those students. And so there's a lot of possessive nature. And somebody like Epic has come and blown that model up. And I think there's a, a real uh, frustration, and that's where that resides. I mean, indeed, and the parents are doing the choosing. We're not trying to siphon students. We're not trying to redistrict. I mean, the the state of Oklahoma is our district, so it's not like we're we're annexing a part of a city to grab a few more kids or mm-hmm. or anything like that. And so it's it's really hard hearing the traditional brick and mortar approach uh, chastise the way we do things. It's hard hearing um, people who just don't get it. Uh, not not just education, but the setup uh, chastise what we're doing. I, do you know how many people I've invited when I was a, a teacher, when I was a principal? Do you know how many people I've invited to come follow me and, and see what we do for a day? See what this job is, see what it is. I mean, I, I, I probably invited 40 or 50 different people through Twitter and the superintendents across the state and principals and teachers. Do you know how many have actually taken me up on it? One. One. And he was the, the secondary um, ELA guy at the State Department for a while, and now he's in another state, you know, doing other things. But one person has ever taken me up on coming and following and seeing what we do. Uh, and it's just crazy because we're not a regular virtual school. We're not a regular brick and mortar school. To my knowledge, we're the only school like this in the entire nation, not just the state, in the entire nation. And people wanna throw a box around what we're doing in their idea of how it fits what they're what they're used to. Uh, nobody's diving in and reading the book that is epic or the the business model, education model that is epic. And so when people are like, but what about? We're like, yeah, we've got a rule for that and we're following it. You know, it people do not have any interest in digging in and seeing what it looks like from this side. And I think that's 
that goes to your point of advocacy or advocacy, um, because when you're at the Capitol as a former legislator, when you're at the Capitol, uh, you are being constantly given information from uh, the old guard system, and they speak as if they're experts on Epic. So they will speak about here's what Epic's doing wrong, here's what is going on with Epic, and they present it as if they know <clears throat> what you learn is what you said is that the more you talk to them, none of them have really ever experienced Epic or, or taken a time to look at it and know if they're speaking the truth. <clears throat> but as a legislator, you don't know that. So they're being inundated with all of this information and the majority of it, vast majority of it is negative about Epic. Uh, you think of as a legislator on a regular basis, you're, you have five, six to 10 superintendents in your area that have a lot of influence that you're meeting with that are telling you all the negatives you have. Uh, certain principles and stuff that gripe to you about Epic on a regular basis, it doesn't take very many people for you to think, man, this thing's out of control. I need to really do something. So it's so important for a parent or a teacher or a principal to contact that legislator to say, hey, let me tell you how we do things and what's going on with us. And let me tell you the success. I think that's the other thing is let me tell you what's going on with this kid. Let me tell you what's going on with that kid. And they would have never had an opportunity to uh, experience this outside of this model that we have. You know, it's crazy. And I, I, I wonder, because all I can do is wonder, if um, those same principals and superintendents uh, are the same phone calls I took as a principal and uh, uh, director of communications now on, do you think this kid would be a good fit because it's just not working out here? You know, and I know there is, there's a huge group of principals who have done that to me specifically. So exactly. I know that beyond me, there have got to be more. Um, there's this selective silence that happens in the education world at the principal and superintendent level of, um, I don't want these students going, but will you take these kids because, you know, uh, and they sweep them under their rug and, and right into the dustpan uh, of their school. Uh, and and they're, they're sending kids our way, but they're selectively silent about that when they're going and, and advocating for their school and their tax dollars uh, with their legislators. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, true. We already know who loses in this, and it's the 60,000 plus students and their families who have chosen this model. Who benefits, Brant, from closing Epic Charter School? I mean, who benefits? I think what you would initially see is that traditional brick and mortar will get an influx of students back into their traditional setting. If, if Epic were to be somehow shut down, which, as we've told families and students across the state, no action will be taken this year. Right. This is all hypothetical possibilities that would be a year from now if they even were to occur. I think what you'd also get is kind of a um, – it, it'd be a victory for the traditional brick-and-mortar settings. They've criticized Epic 
in, in years past and, and currently, this would be kind of ringing the bell for like, oh, you see, we were right all along. You know, we were able to accomplish something by shutting the school down. But I think what mostly you would see is a, is, is a loss for the families and the, and the students that we serve that a traditional brick and mortar setting just do not offer the services that we do. And I think that that is the real loss that you would see is that uh, students would be forced back into a system that just doesn't fit their learning needs and styles. And that would be a lost generation. Um, those families are just not going to get the services that they desire and what they, like I said, receive from Epic. Not just desire, but if you listen to Monday's episode when we were talking about bullying prevention and awareness, there, there's a group of kids here that would be dead otherwise. And we heard that story on Monday and there are plenty more to go along with it because of the amount of bullying. And we know a large group of people are here because of that. Um, Clayton would have been dead if he would have gone back to that school for another half a year. So um, yeah, there's there are big losses. Uh, and, I, and I tell you, uh, Aaron, whether it's uh, uh, a literal death. I think if you take away hope from certain kids, that that's a death sentence for the rest of your life, far as your productivity and and your success. And so I think either way, there is a death that occurs because we have such a for so many of our students, it's such a particular group of students who just simply don't fit in the traditional model. And the Epic model has the flexibility to meet their needs where they are and, and give them maybe a hope or a belief in themselves that they didn't have before. They couldn't really obtain within a, a traditional classroom because they got lost in the shuffle. And this gives them that hope. And so you want to remain and keep that hope. And there's a, there's a lot of questions to be asked about education that haven't been asked because the sole focus is on epic and you think about it epic has become the choice of a vast number of parents so it's a it's a choice people like the the positivity or the the job approval rating for epic is super high so people teachers love their jobs people uh, students love their school and they have the highest teacher pay uh, you have the highest investment in students. So why are they not looking at other school systems saying, why can't you do the same thing? Why are you not accomplishing that as well? What's limiting you? It, in some instances, I feel like we get knocked as a school system because of our approach. And and there is somewhat of a, a business climate, uh, climate, I feel like, when we talk about our students, we talk about customer service an awful lot and customer service to our families and to our students. And I feel like that's not necessarily a role that traditional brick and mortars have applied when they think about students and families that live in their district that are automatically into their school system. They're not going out of their way to provide the services to meet those students' individual needs like we are. And I, I, I feel like that's one of the things that has been sort of a, a knock against Epic is that our approach to education is, is not is not possible at traditional brick and mortars. And, and it's like, yes, we're different. 
it's it's what we how we operate is different different and how we offer our services is different and we do have a a customer service mentality that we drive into our our principals and our teachers uh to to reach out to those families and 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 make sure that they're provided for yeah the one thing that i think is lost too in all of this is the the perspective that's put forth with epic's growth and everything is that Epic has taken over education completely and totally, but whenever you look at it in totality, Epic, even along with all of the other online schools, is still less than 10% of the state uh, student population. So uh, it's, I mean, we're still talking about a small percentage. And I think every teacher or principal would agree that within their school, there is probably five to 10% of their kids that the model just doesn't fit. So, I mean, we're meeting a need that even the school systems need to have met, you know, with their kids. And it's not like we're taking, it's not like Epic has over 50% of the students in the state. That's not the case. Yeah. And Brant, I, I, um, from year one of Epic, when I taught in this model, I've had a one room schoolhouse, um, thing going on. Year one, it was just pre-K, kinder, and first uh, when Epic sent me to uh, this facility in Tulsa. And then year two through even this year, um, we've got a one-room schoolhouse in my home because my kids are Epic, so we co-op here. And so I'm not sure that they're not able to provide. I'm pretty positive they're not even willing to consider the possibility that this is uh, an option in their own school because it's hard. It is difficult. Um, and I hate, I hate telling people who don't work here, the teachers who don't work here or the teachers who are just now coming and, and saying, I think maybe Epic, tell me a little bit more. And I'm, I'm like, you know, friend, you're going to work harder in this model than you've ever worked. And, and I know you're a teacher, so I know you've worked hard, but it is just hard harder to do it this way. And so it's not that they're not able to. I really do think it's that they're unwilling to consider the possibility that this could be done in their school. I, I think it's also going to be an interesting um, that, uh, new world that we find ourselves in post-COVID. A, a few years ago, I don't, I'm sure you remember four-day school, uh, four school weeks became an issue because of a budget crisis. And when the budget issues got resolved, uh, the legislators asked uh, school systems to return to a five-day-a-week uh, school week. Well, school systems had operated for years now on under four and said that they loved it. They, they loved how it would operate it. They enjoyed that system, and they didn't want to return to a five-day school week. I'm not sure how widespread it's going to be, but delivering services, how Epic delivers services in part – I think traditional brick and mortars are really going to have to offer kind of a third rail option in virtual learning post COVID. Cause I do feel like families are going to say, while this has been stressful and hard and not what we've wanted, we've been forced into this. We actually do enjoy the opportunity to spend more time with our families. We enjoy the flexibility. So I think that the, the, the model and the, and the way in which we deliver services is being mimicked in many aspects across the state right now. And I'm, I'm interested to find out how prevalent it will be 
once we knock on wood, return to normal. Yeah. And, and, and when we have the luxuries of, of seeing our family and friends and going out again. You know, pre-COVID. <clears throat> and so now it's just, uh, I mean, obviously everybody knows about the unprecedented growth, but even uh, I remember last school year, before the school year had started, I uh, went to Ben Harris and he's one of the co-founders of the school. I said, man, there are nine districts, like bigger districts taking on this virtual model. Are you concerned? And he was like, no, this is exactly what we wanted. As long as there's competition in be, being better <laughs> than the next person, students are winning. And I remember thinking, dang, like, it's always about the students. It always comes back to the students for them, whether the students are coming to their school district that they helped create, or if, uh, you know, Glenpool or OKCPS or whatever is doing something to better their students. Uh, and I just remember thinking, wow, I really like this cat. You know, he, he's, he's got it figured out. Um, Guys, talk to me about some of the things, uh, switching gears just a little bit. Uh, Todd, you've um, been a legislator. Brent, you've been in, in the advocacy world forever. Um, what are some of the effective ways and what are the, some of the ineffective ways to address uh, your state rep or your state senator or, or somebody that you're trying to tell your story to? Yeah, I think um, first and foremost, uh, respectful and kind uh, will always win the day. <clears throat> it never, it never helps uh, to start by create uh, criticizing uh, maybe the political party uh, by starting to criticize how you've dealt with education in the past. Uh, I think it's more important if you're talking about a specific issue to st stick with that issue, but come from a respectful standpoint and always make it personal to you uh, and so that that you're telling a personal story. Uh, if you're a teacher, you have so much power to be able to tell, here's what I do and here's how I impact and here's why this is so different from how a traditional school operates and why it's perfect for these students. If you're a student or a parent, you can say, listen, our, this is the opportunity this afforded us versus somebody else. So those personal stories really resonate. And I want people to understand that, uh, you know, sometimes it seems like, why would I advocate because my voice doesn't have really an impact. The reality is for a legislator, if I get five calls, five to 10 calls in my office, I start going, man, what's going on? You get 10 to 15, 20 calls and they think, you know, the place is going to burn down because people are really angry. So it doesn't take very many calls, um, but I think that the calls need to be personal, um, polite, uh, very respectful to the, uh, the legislative assistant. At the state capitol, there is one person between the legislator and, and you, and that is just their assistant. And so if you can be polite to them, you're going to have a greater success at actually getting in touch uh, with your legislator. If you email, never use a form email. Never, never use a form email that just you copy and paste 
speak directly to the legislator and be specific about what you're saying because you get so tired as a legislator of seeing form emails. Yeah. And speak to your legislator. Don't try to speak to other legislators uh, because they're going to dismiss you because they're like, you can't vote for me anyway. Right. Right. And so, and I think if you want to meet with them in person, don't uh, accost them in Walmart, you know, and start dressing them down. Ask them, hey, would there be a time I could meet you for coffee? Because I want to tell you about what's going on. And and uh, and then I, I think it's always good to, to edify somebody in the sense that, you know, always acknowledge the fact that, hey, I appreciate that, that you're serving. Uh, I know you want to do the right thing, and I want you to hear the truth. Uh, from my uh, from my side of the the equation, I I think Todd hit it on the head. Um, the only thing I would add is that um, just to demystify a little bit the the, the program these these are citizens they, they're elected leaders but they serve you and you have the authority and the right to to tell them your story and to and to have conversations with them about issues that are important to you. And they're and they're receptive to hearing these messages. Elected officials like talking to citizens. They like talking to the people in their community who elected them and finding out what the issues are that are relevant, and important to them. So um, don't don't feel um, you know. And, and mostly that's at the Capitol, but people feel like that's a, like a museum and kind of a, a very um, in, in just sort of a. a uh, uh, not comfortable setting to to talk to people, mm-hmm. but these are just all individuals. These are all citizens. They're all Oklahomans, and they all want to make the state a better place. So, go ahead and contact those elected officials, and and don't don't be worried about uh, or intimidated by them. They're 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 there to work for you. Yeah, uh, I love the fact that if I want to call up Mark Lawson and say, hey. I've got a coffee waiting. He's like, I'll accept that coffee and the conversation, you know? <clears throat> so, uh, just, and the reason that he does that, Aaron, is because you set a tone of, listen, I'm gonna, I mean, we can battle on what our discussion is, but this is going to be respectful and I'm going to treat you with respect and, and I'm going to treat you as a friend. So it's a safe place for him to come. I mean, who wants to go and just, have somebody gripe at them and yeah and, and complain to them and nothing productive comes out of it so you you set the right tone well especially they have no they didn't write the news article they aren't really trying they're not the one who have called to shut you know uh the the school down or anything like that you've got to go to them with uh the approach of hey, maybe they haven't gotten to this topic yet because they're fighting other battles. I mean, uh, I I thought really hard about becoming a state representative a few years ago. And I uh, went and spoke with my previous state rep. Hey, what is this job? What are you doing? I'm really passionate about education. I think I could get in there and do some stuff. And I remember Mark, it was Mark McCullough back then. He said, Aaron, I mean, definitely education but you need to know about oil and gas. You need to know about streetlights. You need to know about all the things government. And I remember thinking, I am not passionate about streetlights at all. So I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do this job. Um, And so it's not, 
that's not the when when you parent or or teacher call your your legislator it's not the only topic that they're versed on and sometimes they're not the most versed on that topic so um you know approaching it with a hey maybe you've never heard about this before mentality versus uh you're probably an expert and i'm going to tell you why you're wrong yeah and that's a great point on going back to the legislative assistant they have groups and individuals that are coming at them from all walks of life talking about issues that that you would never even dream and a lot of them are very upset and their approach to way that to the way they want to interact with the legislator is i'm going to gripe right here at the front to this this uh, legislative assistant i'm going to vent i'm going to complain i'm going to cuss i'm going to do everything so they get to hear that all day long so it's really important for epic advocates to come in with kindness and respect uh to to distinguish themselves from what those people are already getting i mean you have to give them a safe place to to want to hear from you um Todd mentioned earlier that it's important to make sure you're actually talking to your representative or your senator. If that's something that you might not know, you can uh, Google Find My Legislator OK, which will take you to a search engine where you dump in your personal physical address, and then it will tell you who your senator and who your uh, representative are for your district. And, and we'll also uh, provide information about how to contact their offices. So if that's something that you know, some of our listeners out there might not be 100% about, they can find that information and then they can act on it. Not only that, but uh, there are 21 districts, and we'll get into this next week again, but there's 21 districts that have opposition running against you know uh, uh, each other in the state uh, arena. And so knowing your district and, and knowing who you want to vote for, especially in those 21 districts, is a big deal. So yeah, if you don't know, definitely find your legislator. Um, exactly. Good point, Brant. Guys, you've got a 30-second elevator pitch uh, with your legislator. What's it sound like today? Brant, would you start us off there? Uh, well, I would definitely lead off with saying uh, a joke. <laughs> I guess I guess you've read about us in the newspaper lately. Uh, but uh, I would try to let these legislators know that it's like you know you you've read a lot in the news about what's been going on at Epic. Have you read our audit response? Is that something you've taken the time recently to reach out and try to understand our position on these issues? Uh, after that, I would encourage them. I would also email them. I would follow up following our elevator pitch <laughs> with an email with that, a link to that audit response so that they had the opportunity to, to read over that information. Um, I would let, I would let them know that, um, what's happening right now is a knee jerk reaction and that we need the time and the ability to present our side of these issues. And I will hope that, that they will afford us that opportunity for the sake of the 60,000 students that we represent and the, and the numerous uh, family members of those students and, and also for the, I think, 2,000 staff members that we have across the state. Um, for all those reasons, I hope that you do not rush to judgment like what's been happening in the media. Todd, what's your elevator pitch sound like? 
my elevator pitch uh, would sound like uh, Mr. Miss Legislator. Um, I know uh, that one, you're serving because you want to make a difference in Oklahoma, and I know that it's important for you to improve Oklahoma education. Uh, I know that you're hearing a lot about EPIC and want you to know that EPIC wants the exact same thing. We want to improve education and we want to get better. And I would hope that you would approach this information with the mindset of how do we improve, not how do we uh, attack or, or do, use a witch hunt, and that you would seek the truth on this. And Mr. Legislator, Ms. Legislator, would you just always remember that no matter how flat you make a pancake, there's always two sides. Uh, there's still two sides. And you've heard one side. And we in Epic just ask that you would really, truly give full attention to what our side is so that you could compare them equally and that you would put both both groups in, in a room and let's let's find out solutions as opposed to just finding out problems. Let, let's look for solutions uh, and don't be reactive as if, uh, uh, as, as Brant put. Uh, my other elevator pitch, if you're not talking about just this, this audit and this current climate is, you know, Mr. Miss Legislator, Epic is a unique model it's a unique model in the country that meets the needs of a unique group of kids. Epic is not for every student. Epic is not for every teacher, uh, but Epic is the right model for certain kids. And many of those kids wouldn't have an opportunity uh, to have the success that they're having without uh, this model. And so please take the time to understand who we are, what we do and understand we don't believe that we should be the only education option, that we are the best education option. We just believe that we are the best education option for the certain kids that choose us. Boom. Uh, I'm going to leave it there because I don't know what else to say on top of that. You guys have been amazing. You're, I love our conversations. They're great. Uh, if you like what you heard, go ahead and hit that like button or subscribe to the podcast so that you're notified each time a new episode drops. If you're a returning listener, you should rate the podcast. Leave us a comment. Tell us what you think. Tune in next week where we are rethinking how leadership and education can better prepare the next generation for a rapidly evolving world.